In Daniel chapter 9, verses 4 through 5, it says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. Today, Daniel puts a lot of words in a lot of people's mouths. This is day 16. Welcome to the Journey Through Daniel podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together, we'll discuss the content and meaning of each passage and how the book of Daniel can help us understand more about who God is and the story He's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day 16 of the Journey Through Daniel podcast. We are kicking off week four, a home stretch. That's right. I don't even know when this is airing. Well, obviously week four. After week three. We haven't even started the journey. We were recording this all well before that. So that's good to say. I'm here once again with Brendan Lang. Yo, yo. The author, theologian, all of the above for Journey. Brainchild. Co-brainchild. Co-brainchild. I'm also here with Kelly Kang. Hi. Who wrote the student book. It's my new favorite commentary for the Daniel book. What are you saying? (laughs) I know. That's, well, so yours yikes. is great, like, you know, as a study, but like hers I is more like of a commentary. And hers so, is more it's like, it's a, like a study Bible. Yeah. Right. It's so like, I just tore it out of my study Bible and put that in there. It doesn't fit you just fit exactly, but it is way better and it looks <laughs> way better. It's too. really pretty. And Kelly did an awesome job. It's great. Thanks, guys. Here's my question for today. Have you ever had to apologize for something you didn't do? You got in trouble even? Took the punishment? Man, all that stuff? Think. This is probably a very jaded question for me because... I have a very strong example of this. You want to share that? Yeah. While so, think? yeah, yeah. I'm going to kick up my feet. And if you can uh, get the tissues, I'm yeah. going to take some notes. When I was like a four or five year old, you know, Thomas Kincaid. He's an artist or a. He's the artist. Yeah, not, they like make. They're puzzles. candles, though, aren't there? Who, who makes the candles? There's like a name of someone who does like these artistic candles. But then Yankee he does. Yankee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, all right. Never mind. So he does puzzles. He does some sort of. <laughs> yeah, his, his paintings. He does my puzzles. Mom, hi, mom. My mom loves. I know Thomas the name. Kincaid. Yeah. My parents had these china plates that were painted by Thomas Kincaid or whatever. And they were up on a shelf that also had these little mini figurines on them, mm-hmm. like little people, little houses, right in front of the plates Mm -hmm. on a rickety old shelf right under our rocking chair and so one day naturally me and my older brother were up there playing with them and doing Mm -hmm. little townspeople and doing their thing and it's funny because i didn't tell this when my brother was on the podcast but my version of the story is he started to lose his balance and knocked me off with his elbow and like fell over and then he pulled down the shelf on his way down and i know this because i caught the shelf all the plates smashed at my feet how could i have caught the shelf if i was the one who pulled it down that would have been some magician level you guys be the judge no, I you guess. just took the shelf off and you're yeah, holding wait, it the whole time but if you pulled it off wasn't it in your hands well no but i was on the ground below the okay kelly <laughs> i see who inside you're on <laughs> no i'm just i'm just fact checking just imagining asking. how you, it seems much more likely that you took the shelf off and were holding it oh my goodness as opposed to <laughs> five-year-old tyler who hates sports by the way okay i don't hate <laughs> sports. The shelf. i'm very good at them but <laughs> brendan just called your entire athletic uh, yeah, ability into I, question <laughs> all right let's go right now i didn't, na- I didn't say <laughs> that dash, let's go we're racing <laughs> I have longer legs than you. you know that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Anyways, everybody got in trouble, but I took the brunt of that blame. And to this day, regardless of whether you guys believe me. You're the younger brother, too. You're like Israel. Thank you, yep. Brendan. <laughs> Anyways, do you have stories where you took the blame and had to apologize for something you didn't do? 
In middle school, I was sitting in the front row of my English class and just like crossed my legs like one does. And my teacher walked by and tripped on my leg. And she, for whatever reason, decided that I had intentionally stuck my leg out in the middle Sounds of like you. the room. And so she like had a meeting with my principal and my mom and was like, Kelly tripped me, yada, yada. And my mom was like, that doesn't sound like her, but okay. <laughs> and so I had to apologize for crossing my legs. And my mm. uncoordinated teacher. All right. So I've got one now. Third or fourth grade, something like that. Okay. We were playing football. It was like flag football. The guys, we didn't care whether we tackled Is one it? another. And for some reason, one of the teachers who was like watching the whole thing, it's like he was there refing it or something. But it became pretty rough just because this is what happens. And there was a time where, you know, I had the ball running down the field and my buddy tackles me. And mm. like I flip over and whatever. And this teacher runs in. He's like, that's it. You two are going to go. What do you call it? It's not detention. What is it when Principal's you have to like sit on the or? step? like during a recess it's, it's like it's out. like grounding <laughs> it's like you don't get to play football for the next two weeks and you have to sit on the steps the rest of recess oh my and i'm like i just suspension? i just got tackled <laughs> i had nothing to do with that yeah what a victim so wow. but because i was involved in the scuffle innocently passively i think I, the problem is you were inviting the possibility of being yeah. tackled because i'm guessing that you were pretty good like you could handle of football well i got tackled pretty I mean, well for what it's worth that was a time where i took the heat wasn't really me who caused the downfall but That's i, I suffered anyway well today daniel apologizes for something that he may or may not have done i mean it's all very confusing why don't you help us make light of it through our commentary today brendan day 16 a confession of corporate sin daniel 9 contains another vision but unlike the previous visions it begins with a reflection on scripture and a prayer the historical and biblical background for this occasion is significant Verses 1 and 2 tell us that in the first year of Darius, Daniel meditated on a message given to Jeremiah the prophet, which concerned 70 years of desolation for Jerusalem. In the book of Jeremiah, the prophet talked about how the people of Judah would be exiled in Babylon as a result of their sins, but would return to their land after 70 years. Now in 539 BC, nearly 70 years after Daniel's deportation to Babylon, Daniel is meditating on these passages and wondering if the return to Jerusalem is imminent. After reflecting on this passage, Daniel turns to God in prayer regarding the things on his mind. The prayer he prays follows a model outlined in 1 Kings 8.46-51. He starts by pleading with God to show love to God's people. Then, Daniel makes a confession of corporate sin. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. What's noteworthy about this prayer is that Daniel admits his own part in the sin of his people, even though he has repeatedly been vindicated as innocent by God. In the book of Daniel, there are no accounts of any wrongdoing by Daniel. He is proven to be without corruption as an individual, but he recognizes that he was a participant in a community that was guilty of wrongdoing and sin. Daniel's humble posture and prayer should challenge us as Christians in America today. In our individualistic society, we tend to think of sin as the crime of individuals, not communities. When we see evil pervading the walls of governments, workplaces, schools, or churches, we blame others, never ourselves. The truth is, sin can be committed by individuals and by communities, and we can be held at fault for both. It is the action or inaction of individuals that allows corporate sin to continue and systemic wrongs to go on. Thankfully, we have a merciful God who forgives those who confess their complicity and work to bring change. For day 16, we're reading Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last seventy years. 
So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Kelly, you want to read our discussion questions for day 16? Question one, why do you think it is so hard for individuals to accept blame like Daniel did for societal issues? Question two, what corporate sins do you think we need to confess as a country, as a society, as a church? All right, where does Daniel get off here? Apologizing for an entire nation. I've got to believe that there's some people that are like, we didn't do anything wrong. Like the people hanging out with him? Or just like, he just apologized for the entire nation of Israel. Well, he's not just praying for Israel present. He's also praying for Israel past, which I think is significant right. as well. And so. there's got to be people like well, on but, both sides of the aisle who well, are Well, but like, they're not even here. That's the thing. They're like dead and gone, you know? But he's saying, we all... 
Because when we think about Israel in the Bible, I mean, just think about how you think about the Israelites. You don't typically think of just one generation. You're kind of thinking of them collectively when we talk about them collectively. And so he's admitting, God, you made a covenant with us, a covenant that just sort of the way it's presented, the covenants were a thing that were in a sense supposed to be affirmed generation by generation. It was a one-time thing, sort of, but actually it was renewed. And the people, by the way, they live their lives through their actions. It was something they were supposed to continually affirm because this is what a relationship with God is like. Just like we've talked about you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. You don't just raise your hand and you're good. It's a decision to be in a relationship with this king. That's what a covenant is. And so all that to say, they're a collective entity, even though they may be generations apart. And so you walk through Israel's history. The things that Daniel talks about here, these are sins that generation after generation after generation Israelites committed. Brendan, you made a good distinction too in your commentary today about the difference between kind of our Western individualistic society and Mm -hmm. the Eastern more collective communal. And I think there's something special about Israel and the way Christians think about it of kind of its own entity and past and future. But I think too, in the mindset of people living in that time, like for Daniel and today others, it's less about us and it's more about the whole. Less about me and more about... Yeah, exactly. So there's more of this idea, like you see more kids responsible for things that their parents have done and not feeling like burden, but just like culturally, that's something that they do. Mm-hmm. Like there's a more consistent thread, I think, between generations. And they accept that. That's a piece of their like yeah. almost like pride. Yeah, there's pride in it and like honor and responsibility. So we can talk about this more as we proceed. But I think oftentimes when we talk about like our sins and our relationship with God and the judgments we're going to get from God, like we're only thinking through the lens of like what I've done individually. And of course, we should be thinking about like individually, how have we done right? How have we done wrong? Like if we don't think that lens we're never gonna work for right but we don't think about it on a social level and the truth is in that world this is how they operated they understood that they were part of a society and they contributed to society and so even if they may have not done some of the wrongs that some of their community has done they're collectively guilty and that's what the exile is punishment for collective mm-hmm. sin so he says a lot of things in this apology confession. We'll call it a confession, right? He says a lot and he says a lot of redundant things as well. He says it multiple times, which is something that happens in Daniel. And I feel like I'm going crazy when I read the scripture sometimes because I'm like, wait, I think I just read this like four or five times. But my question is like, what is he actually apologizing for or confessing? It's a lot of things. He doesn't identify the specific laws, but you can look back at parts of scripture that this picks up on. You can look back at the end of the book of Second Kings, especially Second Kings 17 on through to 25. And that book highlights a lot of the sins of the people of Israel and then the people of Judah, because at that point in history, actually had two separate nations who went into exile at different times by different nations. But as Kings identifies and elsewhere in scripture, the reason they go into exile is because of their wickedness, their wrongdoing, because they gave up their allegiance to God and chose to follow other gods. And because they didn't live lives of justice and mercy, they didn't take care of the foreigner who's in their midst. They didn't take care of the poor in their midst. And so sins like those, which are repeated over and over again by the prophets, basically forsaking allegiance to God and oppressing the poor in your midst, those are the crimes that are called out the most and that they're probably guilty of that Daniel's alluding to here. It is interesting to me that like Daniel is taking this upon himself to like confess this on behalf of the entire nation, even though like it might not have even been him. Like Kelly said earlier, like he's been in exile for 70 years or not exile, but captured. It's been almost 70 years at this point. And so like he was just a kid when he was brought over, probably. He's an old man now. Like what part did he play in this? Probably not a lot. So he's really doing this on behalf of everybody else. And like you said, it's the culture of like accepting and doing this on behalf of a nation. I guess one of my questions is like, why him? Why has he got to be the one that does this? Why not everybody? 
what's interesting is we actually have prayers like this in Scripture, multiple places, but I just want to highlight two that are very similar. In the book of Nehemiah and the book of Ezra, you see leaders praying similar things. And this is actually post-return, that they make these corporate prayers of collective sin. Daniel, I mean, there are a couple ways to look at this. Either Daniel is kind of what I think your question is getting as he could just be an individual who's doing this because he sees that his people haven't done it. It could also be that Daniel's just the main character here. And so, of course, he's going to be the one who says it. Like, if I'm thinking back historically and critically about this whole period, I have to imagine that people are in Babylon praying to God, we really messed up. Yeah. God, would you restore us? Would you forgive us? I Especially the people who like have more pain than Daniel probably does with being in charge of a lot of kingdoms and stuff or retired at this point from doing yeah. that. But he's experienced sort of the best of it. I'm guessing that there are slaves who have experienced the worst of this capture too. Yeah, there are people who suffered miserably and there are psalms that talk about this. When I'm in Babylon, how can I sing the songs of God, right? I weep, I mourn because we're in this place that's not our home. People are crushed by this. And I have to imagine people are always praying these prayers of repentance. But I think it's highlighted in Daniel. And I think it stands out in Daniel because he's an innocent guy and because he's doing it 70 years later and confessing sins of ancestors. And the reason he's doing this, as Kelly brought up, is because this is about the time. He's reflecting on the book of Jeremiah, a book where over and over and over again, the prophet confronts the people of God and says, you're going to go into exile. This is going to happen and it's going to be 70 years. There are a couple passages specifically that highlight like this 70 year period. Now, if he's doing the math in his head, this is really close to 70 years from the time he went into Babylon. And so, of course, he recognizes if this prayer hasn't been prayed, I need to do this because we need to make sure we're right with God. And that way we might be able to return as God had promised. I think it shows that Daniel has an understanding that none of us are innocent. I think we like to think a lot of times that either we're involved or we're not. And in reality, we will always be somewhere in the middle because either the things that have happened brought us to where we are or we likely did something and aren't aware of it. Whatever the case, when you read through the prayer, it's not like a superior, like, I'll pray on behalf of all these people because it's 70 years and we got to do this and get right. It's like he's taking it on himself, too. And I think that's a really good example because I think a lot of times we like to think that either we are we aren't like you see this even recently with either like people being like no no I'm not racist or yeah. things like that and that's kind of blinding the real question or the real issue which is saying like we have a society and we yeah. have a system and culture that we've built that we are all a part of whether or not we've been active and so I think this is a really beautiful example on Daniel's behalf of it's not about him or what he's done or hasn't it's about where they are at as a society and where they need to go forward. And that's the interesting thing that he says, which I love the way that he does this. He's able to wade into the like good stuff and also the pain. Like he says, now, Lord, our God, who brought our people out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And like he's saying that as though he remembers it like vividly, but like it's been passed down probably. This is almost a thousand years later. Yeah. But like he recognizes that that's like such a deep part of him and he collectively represents a society and is able to speak on their behalf. And Kelly, you're getting at it too. I think it's easier and I think it's safer to look at the world black and white, not literally, but like metaphorically and say, I'm either on this side of the issue or I'm on this side. And, you know, if I'm on this side of it, then there's no bleeding over into the other side. When in reality, it's just like a spectrum, right? It's a spectrum of gray all the way across and there is no black and white. So for us to like boil it down to something like your example of like, I'm not racist, really 
really like loses the point of the conversation of what we're talking about. This is a societal issue that we're all involved in, whether we realize it or not. The reflection questions for today were rather poignant, pretty difficult questions to answer, if I'm going to be honest. So I feel like we should at least help people navigate those a little bit. But the first one, why do you think it's so hard for individuals to accept blame like Daniel did for societal issues? How would you all answer that question? No, of course, we don't want to think that we're guilty. And oftentimes we don't feel like we're guilty. It's this idea that, of course, I'm going to be welcoming to people who don't look like me. Of course, I care about all people. It's hard for us to admit, as Kelly was talking about, this idea that we're part of a society that still has issues that need to be confronted. And not only that, our society has wrongs, generations of wrongs that need to be confessed and need to be admitted. And yeah, I didn't commit those sins as an individual, but I'm a product of that society. I think we've probably alluded to this, at least in this podcast. I led a study of the color of compromise this summer. And as a land Mark study, I feel like for me and for a lot of people in our church, because you walk through American church history and see, man, there's so many terrible wrongs that especially early American Christians committed against our black brothers and sisters. And it's easy to look at those and say that those sins were wrong. It's a lot harder to then look at where we are today. And that's why I like this historical approach of that study, because it brings us up today and helps us see that this issue is much more complex. Mm -hmm. And so we need to confront this as a church. We need to admit that the church has erred collectively in this. And that's not that's not a progressive statement either. That's the interesting thing. If you know the history, then that is an easy statement to say. Yeah, the we church should not. has erred. That is without question. Absolutely. Yeah. We were allowing slavery to continue to perpetuate. We emphasized parts of the gospel that we thought were more important and allowed parts of the gospel that Jesus saw as being central to what it meant for him to be king for this kingdom to come. We ignored those because we wanted to allow slavery and and other things to persist in our society. And I say we because, again, yeah, that's not happening necessarily today, but we are part of that American church. We're a product of it. We're a product of that American church. And so why is it so hard to say we were wrong? Why is it so hard to say we've committed sins. We should do that. As the church, we should be leading the way, honestly, in these issues. This is one of those places where I feel like culture has forced the church to catch up, and the truth is it should be opposite. Yeah. I think it's hard for individuals to accept blame because we see ourselves as individuals, and we talked about this earlier, but I think something that always helps me remember are like the three levels of different systems that we're all part of. So there's like your micro level, which is like you and your immediate, your family. There's like the meso level, which is like your neighborhood or your Mm -hmm. workplace. And then there's the macro, which is like the organizations where you work or where you shop or things like that. And I think when we don't think about each of those systems that we're a part of, it's easy to think that we don't have blame and to not take responsibility. But I was thinking as I was walking in the building and I went to the bathroom today, like I would say that I am welcoming or I would want to be welcoming to people with disabilities, but the building and the place that I work, those bathrooms, they're push doors. There's no like automatic or anything. Like for anyone who is not walking around like me, it's very difficult to go to the bathroom at our church. So like I wouldn't say that our church is not trying to welcome people, but we're also not necessarily like doing everything or thinking about those people. And so I think me by being someone who working here and maybe not thinking through what those people around me need, I'm guilty and I'm complicit in not like doing the best I can and providing an environment for those people to thrive. 
I think like there's a piece of that too, that like Daniel, you had eyes to see that and you had eyes to see that because of empathy, right? Human empathy allows you to empathize with your brothers and sisters of the world. And it's hard to see the plight of others if you can't empathize with their position, right? I think a piece of this too, of why collectively it's harder to lump ourselves together rather than do an individualistic perspective, because if we're going to change something, it's easier for me to be like, you know what, I'll just worry about me and I'll just change me if I know that I'm good. It's much harder to be like, all right, culturally, societally, we need to get together. We need to do this change, right? It's much more difficult to change entire systems and structures and, you know, each of your three levels, right? If I'm just worrying about me and be like, well, I am this Mm -hmm. and make a me statement. It's much easier to be like this. But when in reality, you are so much more than just yourself, right? You are a product of your environment, your upbringing, your church experience, your whole life experience. And so it's much harder to change all of that. It's all about safety. It's easier to be safe and be like, I am this. And that's easier for me you don't always see yourself as a participant. And I think talking about structures and systems is so important because those can seem like they're abstract things. How do you ascribe blame to yeah. something that is not a person, right? Because that's how we think about it. And when you recognize that system structures exist because of communities that allow those structures to be in place, that's why we have something that we call collective sin or corporate sin. And so if you're just thinking about it on an individual level, you're never going to confront those things. We have to look at it corporately. And Kelly, I love how you bring that up. I've never thought about. I do know it's really awkward getting in those bathrooms. Especially if you're holding a stack of anything. I don't know why I'd be holding a stack of anything. <laughs> yeah, like, I I've, pushed, I've pushed strollers in those bathrooms oh, so yeah. many times. And Unbelievable. It's so difficult. And so I get it now. It's like mm-hmm. you're opening my eyes to see how difficult this is. And I think you at least naming it is like that's a first step. And you aren't probably in a position right now to affect that change. But if everybody can name that this is an issue and come together on those issues, that's how we bring about change. And that's how as a society we overcome the sins of the past and the sins of the present. Well, I yeah. think as a church to like, this is the place where we should enact change. The church is not a staff member or it's not a single leader. The church is everybody collectively talking being like, hey, this is an issue. And then going to those in power and being like, this is something that needs to be changed. And we all feel this passionately that this should be changed, right? And I think it connects to another theme we keep seeing over and over again in Daniel, which is this humility and pride. And Mm. I think like you were saying, Tyler, like it's a lot harder to recognize the systems you're a part of. And it also takes humility to realize that, oh, none of us have the answers and we weren't necessarily doing it right. But let's come together and figure it out. And I think that's like you said, it's not safe. It's vulnerable. But I think through and through in Daniel, we're seeing that it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the second question kind of touches on this, the bathrooms for sure, but also just corporately in our country, in our businesses, in our churches, what are the corporate sins that we should really be confronting and apologizing for and lamenting? Because there's a good amount of lament in Daniel's confession as well. You know, he's really upset and sad about the way things have gone, especially because you would hope that in his 70 years of his life, he would at some point be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to get to go home. You know, if I'm empathizing with Daniel at this point, he's got to be nearing the end of his life. He's getting up there in the age at least. And he's got to be thinking, oh, this is it. I'm here. And that amount of like defeat and knowing that like he's not going to see this, but collectively, maybe we can get there. Even without me, maybe we can get there if we start to admit and confess our sins. So what is our responsibility now, this day and age? Maybe we won't see it, this side of heaven as it is, but what are the things that we should be confronting as a church, as a society? 
there's a concept called proximate justice, which is by Stephen Garber. And this whole idea of what you're saying, Tyler, that it can be kind of defeating to fight for something you know you're never going to see come to full fruition. But as Christians, we have that hope that the kingdom of God is going to come and right every wrong. But that's also not a pass to not fight for everything that we see. And so this kind of sounds like a cop-out answer, but like what corporate sins do we need to confess is all of them. And we yeah. need to constantly, whatever we're each seeing, we need to do our part to bring earth as it is, as close to the kingdom of God as it can be. And one day, like God will come and bring that all to fruition. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be fighting for it today. It's recognizing that Jesus has been installed as king and the kingdom of God, it's something future, but it's also something present. Like that's why I like calling faith allegiance. It's admitting that Jesus is king. I'm going to give my allegiance to you and I'm going to live every day under that rulership. And I can hope that one day things are going to be made right, that idyllic future. But I also recognize that I have a role right now. And so we could spend all day identifying all yeah. the wrongs as a nation, you know, how we treated Native Americans when we moved in. Was I one of those? <laughs> moved yeah. on in. You know, Just we moved on in and co-opted the Bible and saw this as our destiny, yeah. that we are the new Israel who was given this, and that's not the case. Like, we have to recognize that that was a sin. Also, I don't know why we want to repeat what Israel did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a really good point, is Israel did not always get things right. And so we can confess that crime. We can confess the crimes against our Black brothers and sisters, and what brought Africans here originally, how they were treated while they were here originally, but also, like, how throughout the generations, like, we've continued to oppress them in all sorts of ways that have allowed the problems we have today to persist. We can confess crimes against immigrants. We can confess all sorts of crimes. And I think this proximate idea, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Kelly, but is it like this idea that what's in front of you, those are the things that, not that you shouldn't confess all these wrongs, but it's also like, what's the thing in front of me that I mm -hmm. can speak to specifically? Is that kind yeah. of the idea? It's like the idea of what you said, what's in front of me? What can I do today? And it's also like this idea that there is a release and a freedom for us because we don't have to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. We don't have yeah. to bring yeah. perfect justice because we can't and that's not our yeah. role. Our role is just to do what we can in the areas and communities around us and in our relationships yes. to work towards it. And so it's that twofold of like keep fighting, but also know that like it's have not grace. hopeless, yeah, but grace. there's also grace yeah. because we can't tackle everything. So like you said, Brendan, like what's yeah. in front of us and what can we do today? I think Daniel's a perfect example of that, right? Every single circumstance that's been put in front of Daniel, he does the right and faithful thing. There's nothing that he's done that is considered sinful and yet he's apologizing for the sin of a nation. You see it when he and his friends didn't eat the king's food all the way up to the king being upset about them not worshiping an idol that he made. It's just mm -hmm. time and time again, they do the proximate thing that's in front of them to make a little bit of change. And this point where we are in Daniel, it's starting to get heavy. <laughs> it's starting to like really all come into a bigger picture of what's happening. And it is this confrontation of power and how it looks much more like a life of service mm. and doing the next right thing than it does any grand show. These are stories that are legends. These are epics. This is the mythology of Christianity in a way, right? It's that true story that like, this is what it's like. I mean, I think of the myth of Willow Creek. It's humble beginnings, yeah. the tomatoes, right? Yeah. Remember that tomato story? It's like, this is who we ought to be as a church. And this is what we ought to be as a community. And it's all about doing the next right thing. And so to answer this question is kind of for you, like we can't answer it for you. The answer to this question is when you're reading scripture and when you're doing this study, what's in front of you? Because not doing something is not an option anymore. And when it comes to confronting power structures, your position is to take the power that you have and use it for good and remove it from any sort of empire 
or remove it from any sort of showy leader or any sort of person who thinks that they're worthy of a gold idol to be worshipped. And our encouragement is to wade into that because that prompting is not empty. If you feel uncomfortable, it means you're going in the right direction. It means you're going out of a black and white ideal system where it's going to get murky, but this is what it looks like to bring about the kingdom of heaven. Balanced with that humility you talked about, Kelly. I think sometimes Christians in America, we get really passionate about ideas and we push forward very hard-heartedly with what we think God is calling us to do. And we don't have the humility to stop and hear, oh, actually, maybe I've got this wrong. I think that you have to balance it with humility and recognize, do I have something to learn? How have I been complicit? I want to affect change. I want to wade into it. I want to confront, but I also need to make sure that I'm confronting the right things. I have to make sure that I've understood clearly that my eyes are open to the things of God, that I have a heart like God, and I'm not going to be so proud and arrogant that I can't hear from him or from others the truth he wants me to understand. And that's why confession is so important. It's why I think this prayer is so important. It's because when we do that, it puts us in a position of humility. It forces us to recognize that we aren't right all the time, that we haven't always had the answers, that we aren't always the solution, but actually we might be part of the problem. If we can get there, I think we can get a lot further as a country and as a church in America today. Thanks for joining us today for the Journey Through Daniel podcast. If this is your first time, so glad that you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org. And follow us for updates at Willow Creek NS on Instagram. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check us out at willowcreek.org. We'll see you next time.